So, but we'll get back to judges next week, or at least that's the plan. Um, we always leave that in Christ's hands, of course. But one thing I wanted to mention to you before we begin this sermon is that last Monday there was a gathering of hundreds of people outside the Oregon State House in Salem, Oregon, because the legislators called a special session and they barred the people entrance into the building while they're inside making law. So only the legislators, the staff, the police, and the media were allowed in. Do you know how wrong and evil and wicked that is and should not be tolerated? So about 300 of them showed up and tried to get inside the building. Four of them were arrested. The police um, sprayed them with pepper spray, used other vicious tactics against them. So this is the double standard, right? If you're a leftist, you get license from the civil authorities to pillage, riot, and destroy. But if you're simply a citizen who wants to fight for the liberty that's being taken away from them, then they call upon their thugs, known as police, in order to beat you down, in order to make sure that the tyrants inside can get away with what they're doing. If they try this here in Wisconsin, which I believe they will, I believe it's massively important that the people of Wisconsin do the same thing and gather in Madison at the Capitol and um, not tolerate this, not just go along with this, but to make an effort to get inside the building to defy these tyrants. That's very important to do. Out of all the legislators that were inside there in Oregon at the State House, only one stood up. He rebuked the entire assembly for what they were doing, including the dopey rules they made, including the little face mask must be worn. They're all in there like zombies wearing their little masks. They're Christ haters. Christ haters wear masks because they want to cover the image of God from their fellow man. It's wickedness, what they're doing. And so he stood up and he took his mask off after he gave his little speech, and he defied them to arrest him while he stood there with his mask off. And the president of the assembly acted like a complete tyrant and screamed and yelled and acted like a dope. But the guy stood there, a lone legislator in the midst of all your colleagues, that's how overwhelming the evil is in this country right now, how men go along so it goes good for them. That's all they care about is themselves. They don't care about truth. They don't care about God. They don't care about their fellow neighbor. Even the churchmen walk around with their dopey masks on. I have numerous people send me things, what church is like at my church with links to their churches. They're all wearing masks. They're all social distancing. It's like an idiocy, a delusion that even the people of God have joined into. And it's grievous to watch. So, note that any state house in the country that tries to keep the people from being there when the legislators are making law should be challenged in the evil they're doing. And it should not be tolerated under the name of a pandemic.
And it doesn't matter for the most part whether it's conservative news or leftist news. They're all carrying water for the fiction. You have to have a strong mind and love him and your neighbor and stand down tyrants, including not wearing the mask. I ended up in another melee with my son, Trelick, by the way, who's here from Florida, and uh, picked him up from the airport, and we said, hey, I'll take you out for breakfast, and ended up in a big brouhaha at a pancake place with four guys. And, um, yeah, don't back down for one second. I told them all, I said, I see what we have here. We have no men here. We have no Americans here. I said, all we have is four guys walking around like Jojo the circus monkey with your little mask on, and if the government told you to wipe your rear end with your bare hand, you'd obey that too, wouldn't you? The whole restaurant was watching. They started it. <laughs> we were talking to the two female gatekeepers, trying to reason with them why they're wrong for saying we can't come in without a mask. They want us to put one on, walk 20 feet to our table, and then we can take it off. That's Jojo, the sir, sir, that's teaching people to conform. It's evil, wickedness. And I'm not just standing against those two female gatekeepers. I'm standing against Fauci. I'm standing against Bill Gates. I'm standing against every one of our dog-worthless legislators and governor in this state who've done nothing but allow this evil to continue by refusing to wear that mask. You understand that? So this big honking dude, about six foot four, me and Trey are more on the shorter side, was behind us, and he goes, you two just put your masks on or get out of here. So Trey looked, turned around, looked at him, and said, why don't you mind your own business? Raised like a good chuella. Amen? <laughs> so, and then it escalated from there. <laughs> the funny thing is, we understand that evil must be confronted, and that's why we confront it. We don't just mildly walk away. Understand? So anyhow, since I just found out that I'm preaching at 11 o'clock last night, <laughs> I'm not continuing on to the book of Judges because I do study and I exegete when I'm going through pass by passage, verse by verse. So today I'm going to do a topical sermon. Why don't we stand up and have a word of prayer? Father, we give thanks and praise to you for your goodness to us, that you have watched over us over the years. We thank you for that, O God. And we thank you that in the midst of this chaos, where once again evil and tyranny raises its ugly head in the kingdoms of men, that we know you. We know your thoughts, your ways. You have preserved your scriptures. Men have hazarded their lives down through the ages that we might still have them in our hand to know your ways and your thoughts. And Lord, we just ask and pray that we would not just be mere theorists about living as Christians, but we'd be applicationists and that we would apply your word to our lives and live in accordance and obedience to you. Radical as that may be in the midst of this culture, in the midst of this nation, may we be faithful and true to you, I pray. And Lord, I ask that you use this sermon for good, for people to understand better your ways and your thoughts, and to see their need for you, whether believer or unbeliever, 
whether Christian or foe, to you, O God, Lord, may they see your goodness for man. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. I want to begin by describing a once great nation to you, a civilization that once thrived here on earth. The civilization I speak of covered thousands of square miles geographically. There were hundreds of cities, towns, villages dotting the landscape. Its societal structure covered all levels of classes, but the middle class made up the largest economic class. Boys were schooled by both their fathers and by a public school system. Hunting game, such as deer and rabbits, duck and geese, was widespread. Domestication of animals, including turkeys, had long taken place amongst them. The use of alcoholic beverages was common, but the favorite beverage among the people was a chocolate drink. The women dressed modestly. The people lived in well-built houses. Arts and crafts were important. Sculptures, metalworking, pottery, weavings, wood carvings were abundant. Art was Art had a place of eminence amongst them. Poetry and music supplied entertainment. Entertainment was big. Always seems to be amongst men. Young men were trained in skill of warfare, and the economy thrived from an agricultural base. Farmers grew potatoes, tomatoes, beans, all kinds of other various crops. Transportation and trade abounded. But for all that was good and right and proper about this nation, they had a filthy practice which would soon be its undoing. In the midst of their cities and villages, this civilization had high places built at various locations throughout their nation. No, these places were not in every city, town, and village. No, by no means, not in every town, city, and village. But nevertheless, they were found throughout the nation. These high places were called tiacolis. These were the places of human sacrifice, the pyramid-style structures blunted, where both adults and children were killed at these places of death. They shed the innocent blood there. It was business as usual everywhere you went throughout their cities and villages while this was going on. People were buying goods, visiting relatives, playing sports. But in the midst of all this normalcy were these places where people were brutally murdered. People who had done nothing to deserve such treatment. And like all nations that shed innocent blood, the Aztec nation, because that is the nation I speak of, was destroyed. It ceased to exist as a nation. Now, you may have thought I was talking about America. 
at the beginning of my talk as I was describing what life was like amongst the Aztecs, as I was giving my description of their nation. I was talking about the Aztecs, but the application applies to America. There are hundreds of cities, towns, and villages dotting the landscape. Our societal structure covers all levels of classes, but the middle class makes up the largest economic class. Children are schooled by both their parents and by a public school system. They hunt games such as deer and rabbits, duck and geese. It's widespread. Domestication of animals, including turkeys and many other livestock, is amongst us. The use of alcoholic beverages is common, but the favorite beverage among the people is soft drinks. The people live in well-built houses. Arts and crafts are important. Sculptures, metalworking, pottery, weavings, wood carvings are abundant. Even another $150 million went to the arts when the trillion dollar, and I know it's only $900 billion, was passed this last week. $150 million, arts has eminence. It's important. It's important to have art to look at while your nation is burning itself to the ground. Poetry and music supply entertainment. Yeah, entertainment, massive to Americans and to American Christians. They love to go to a church where they get entertained. It's the best. Drunk on their entertainment, drunk on their ease, drunk on their materialism and wealth, just like the Aztecs of old. Farmers grow potatoes, tomatoes, beans, and other various crops. Transportation and trade abounds. And yet in the midst of all this normalcy, we have places where innocent preborn babies are brutally murdered in our nation, and we have for almost five decades. For all the normalcy we had, notice I said had, in our nation, now his judgment is unleashed upon the land. His judgment has already visited us numerous times, trying to wake us up to the evils and ills that we imbibe upon as a nation, but there has been no true repentance. The churchmen still play the hireling and the whore, and the people love it that way. And I've lived 60 years now and have watched the descent with my own eyes. Grievous to my heart to watch it all. The rebellion of the people. Like all nations before us which shed innocent blood, our nation will be destroyed judged by God, and rightly so. Whether it's by bloody civil war or 80 years of Soviet-style enslavement, that will be played out in time and space, but we will be judged. You don't have this much innocent blood in your land and get to walk off scot-free with a quick prayer and an afterglow latte. It does not work in God's economy. It does not work. Even if there was great repentance now, God might withhold his judgment for a period. But he will judge regarding that innocent blood. We know that from the Old Testament scriptures.
when two generations after the innocent blood had stopped and the people once again began to move back in rebellion against the Lord, boom, God brought his righteous judgment upon them. The delusion in America is massive. They are indifferent and compliant while their own chains are forged, while tyranny is in the land. While they actually submit to walking around like Jojo the circus monkey with their little mask on their face, allowing the tyrants to tell them while they remove information from Google, Bing, and every search engine on the planet that has knowledge and information contrary to the narrative these tyrants are selling. I've watched it with my own eyes over this nine months. At the beginning, you could find massive amounts of health professionals, scientists, thinkers, epidemiologists who contradicted everything about this narrative. Good luck finding them now when you do your searches. Good luck. Numerous of them have been fired. Censored at the bare minimum, many fired from their jobs for not keeping their mouth shut and going along with the narrative that they've painted to the people. It is a wickedness, it is an evil of grand scale. And you live at this hour and you have an opportunity to stand true to Christ in the midst of it all. Do you know how blessed you are to live in an hour like this? Better than the hour we were living in a year ago where we were watching the slow death of a nation which was drunk on its materialism and ease and its entertainment and fatness. Better to live now in this hour than that hour where you can shine true for Christ. Opportunities over and over again. The Aztecs didn't even have the double sword that our nation sits under. They did not embrace sodomy as our nation has. When you read history, you see repeatedly God judges nations for sodomy. And our nation's imbibing upon sodomy has been for decades. We've heralded in our laws and forced it so that school-aged children have to be taught that two men and two women marrying is normal, and if you don't agree with that, you're the one messed up in the head, little boy or girl. And the adults have sat by and let it all happen. The churchmen, overwhelmingly silent whores that they are, not speaking out against it. And the nation is collapsing, and it will collapse, and the further people go from God's thinking the more stupid they become. That's a historical fact. They're still enjoying some of the Christian thought within their presupposition at this point. I'm talking about the dumb people at large. It's fading. Quickly. And the paganism is growing. The stupidity is growing. God judges nations for sodomy. He judges nations for the shedding of innocent blood. And he brings delusion on those who allow it to take place. And you see the delusion of the quote-unquote church in America, American Christianity, wearing the mask, staying six feet apart, affirming the narrative to the Christian people, 
that sit under these hireling churchmen. It sickens me to the core to watch it all. When I used to stand out there for the preborn with the photographs of them murdered, savagely, brutally murdered by the abortionists, and the cars would just roll by, and maybe once a year someone would pull over and say, wow, I can't believe that's allowed. How do I get involved? A huge thing because it happens so rarely. The vast majority, just like with blinders on, do, 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 going right along. And it used to bother me. I'd think, why the indifference? Why are they indifferent to such evil? And why are they compliant with it? They're not taking action to stop this evil. And then when I saw this all start last March, with all this nonsense and how there's just blithe conformity from the overwhelming, almost complete entirety of the population, aiding and abetting the tyrants, that's when I realized they're indifferent and compliant with anything. And because they've been compliant and indifferent to the evils that have been foisted on others, now the evil is foisted on them and they can't even see it because they've embraced the virtues of indifference and compliance so strongly that they're going to uphold that while they themselves are now in the crosshairs of the tyrants to be destroyed by them, to be manipulated, to be taken advantage of, to be treated like cattle, like dumb sheep. It's a delusion that comes upon people who allow evil. Why did Lot's wife look back? Because she wanted one last glimpse of the mall. She couldn't get with the program. Judgments upon the land. Get out. She was still blind to it. How could someone be that deluded? The thing had already started. It's raining, fire and brimstone. I mean... Their kids and their in-laws were so stupid they stayed. At least she was dragged out by Lot. Well, it wasn't good enough. So deluded was she, she had to turn around and get that one last look of the mall and turns into a pillar of salt. And still, that's what I see with Americans. Totally blind. I'm talking about the Christians, too. Overwhelmingly blind to what's going on about them. Oh, they're having their prophecy conferences because, man, I bet we're going to get out of here in like the next 35 minutes. And the prophecy guys are like, we got money to make, you know, even while this is going on, right? Yeah, it's all wrong. It's all evil. And God's going to smash it all. Destroy it all. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 22, and let's look at verses 3 through 5. The book of Jeremiah chapter 22. Notice what God says here. It says, Thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness, and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong, and do no violence to the stranger and fatherless or the widow, nor shed 
innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. In other words, they do the rebellion. He's calling them to stop the rebellion, to stop the evil. If they don't do that, other kings, pagan kings, will sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, verse 5, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. And look what he says in verse 17 to them. He says, yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness. Did you hear that? Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. There's America, an evil land. Innocent blood abounding. All the people care about is their personal peace and wealth and ease. God judges nations that shed innocent blood, and we are swimming in innocent blood in this nation. And he judges not just Israel. I know New Testament Christians want to think God only judged Israel. No, he judged other nations again and again and again. One example, turn to Joel, chapter 3, verse 19. The book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 19. The prophet isn't speaking to Israel. Rather, he's prophesying regarding Egypt. And he says, Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. He declares judgment upon Egypt for shedding innocent blood in their land. And many Christians today think God doesn't judge nations anymore. I've actually had them tell me that. And the truth of the matter is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He judged the nations that were in the land that Israel came to dwell in in order to remove them so they could dwell in it. And he warned them not to do the evils that those nations were doing, lest he remove them. We see that Amos didn't just preach to Israel. He preached to Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. Ezekiel didn't just address Israel. He addressed Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia, Tyre, and Egypt. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1.5, is called a prophet to the nations, plural. He didn't just prophesy God's judgment to Israel, but to Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Hazor, Elam, and Babylon. I could go on and on with Obadiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Jonah, to the Ninevites, and on down the line. He judges nations, and he's going to judge our nation. Judgment had already begun, has already begun, but most people are too blind to realize that. And isn't it funny how he's judging us? People walking around looking ridiculous. Like the elephant man on steroids. Like this bizarre behavior. 
you look at him and you think to yourself, are you really, how's that possible? That you're that dumb. How is that possible? It's the judgment of God upon them. And they think they're, they think they're smarter than God while they're wearing the mask. You do realize that. That's what they think. Ponder that. Because science has told me, and you're just a dope who doesn't respect science, that's why you don't have a mask on. That's how they think. And yet here in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, God says, I'm going to spread excrement on their faces. And that's how I view these masks. They're like the masks of excrement. For those of you who are young and are like, what's excrement? Excrement is poop. Poop. That's what it is. And God's going to cover their faces in excrement. And isn't it interesting that people call that mask a face diaper? (laughs) Right? It's fitting that someone decided to call it a face diaper because it's like excrement. God is judging America and they're too blind to see it. And it's all around them, a reminder to them every single day they walk out of their home and enter the doors of the Piggly Wiggly or wherever they go. There they see it, reminded of the judgment of God upon this nation and an arrogant people who think they're smarter than him. It's an evil that's going on here. And the churchmen, they're not calling men to repentance, to cry out to God. They're aiding tyrants. Get your mask on. Stand six feet apart. Oh, this is the Sunday you can come to church because your name starts with a T. (laughs) Worthless scum. Not only does God judge nations, but he judges individual people. And so I say to all of you, understand, we all stand guilty under the righteous judgment of God. All men, every individual on the entire planet. He not only judges nations for their evils and destroys them, but all mankind stands guilty under his judgment. All are guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God in his mercy has sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. The wages of our sin is death. We, the scriptures say, should be put to death for our sin. But the scriptures teach that God in his mercy sent his son to die in our stead, substitutionarily, propitiatorily, taking upon himself the sin of the whole world, so that if a man will turn from his sin and believe in Christ, he can obtain forgiveness of sin. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our sin offering. He took upon himself our sins. You understand Jesus came to die. That was his ultimate deal. He taught us much while he lived. He lived for about 30 years and then did three years of ministry. 
But the main focal point was his propitiatory work at Calvary. And he knew that he was come to die early on in his ministry. Turn with me to John chapter 2. The book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. The scripture reads there, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was standing in the temple, a massive, huge building, and he tells them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. They didn't understand what he was saying, because verse 20 says, Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? And look what verse 21 says, But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. And therefore... When he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Jesus knew early on, this is John chapter 2, death awaited him. He knew it. Look at chapter 12 as death is closing in on him, as we're almost to Calvary at this point. The book of John Chapter 12, verse 23. It says, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. It was the primary focal point of his mission on earth to die for the sins of men. So that if men will turn from their sin and believe in him, they can obtain forgiveness of their sin and be brought into relationship with the Father and experience his presence. Commune with him, live for him. A grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. Verse 28 says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die, namely a death on a cross. This is the main thing he came for. God loves men. He wants to be in communion with them. But man in his arrogance and evil and rebellion snubs God and wants nothing to do. You want to be a radical in this culture? You want to be wholly different than most men in this culture? Live for Jesus. 
When I grew up during the 60s, I watched all the hippies and dopes walking around, living their little fuzzy world, thinking to myself, I can't wait till I get big enough so I can go burn a building down. So I can go sit out in a field and not work and just smoke dope all day. Yeah, I'm going to be a radical. Grew my hair long, lived like a dumb dopey pagan there in Detroit, burning down people's houses, stealing cars, living like a dog. I wanted to be a radical. And you know what I found out? The day Jesus Christ changed my life by the power of his Holy Spirit and transformed me out of the kingdom of darkness into his son, that's when I realized this is being a radical. (laughs) This is being a radical. Living for Jesus truly. Not being a dopey churchgoer like the vast majority, you know. Living for him. Making your life count with the days you got. Is this grain of sands are falling through the thing and most just waste their life away. No, don't do it. Live for him. Be radical for him. Be radical for him in all areas of life. Don't go along to get along. What does his word say? Live in obedience according to it. Amen? Be different. Christ shed his blood for us. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Turn there. I kind of want to end with this. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says, Whom, talking about Jesus... God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our blood should have been shed. We should have been put to death for our sins. Christ shed his blood on our behalf. So that if we believe in him, have faith in him, God forgives us of our sin. And we obtain right standing with the Father. And then, it's Katie bar the door, right? You want to live for him. He radically transforms you. Pulls you out of darkness. You see truth. You see light. And then what happens? Oh, the American church shows up. The average churchman comes along. With his little dopey world of Christianity. And he gives his big, heavy, wet blanket. Oh, there's one that actually loves Jesus and thinks we should actually apply the word of God to every area of our life and every area of life. Quick! All you other Christians, help me. Let's get that blanket over him. You know how many times I've watched that? How many times I've watched good young men beaten down by filthy churchmen? Yeah, maybe they didn't have it all together. Maybe they didn't have the maturity and all that kind of stuff. But you didn't come alongside them and help them and equip them. No, you took the blanket out and buried them. So they'd be as dead and worthless as you are. You dog. And it's evil when you watch it. And it's grievous to the heart. And I've seen it too many times. That's what they do. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it talks about the blood of Christ. And it says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, 
We shall be saved from wrath through him. Saved from what wrath? His wrath. We all abide under the wrath of God prior to coming to know Christ. What are we saved from? Our sins and his wrath. Amen? That's what we're saved from. He died in our stead so that if we'll believe in him, we can obtain forgiveness of our sins and then live our lives in obedience to him who died in our stead. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, God. Praise your holy name, O God. Blessed is your name, Lord. We rejoice in you. We give thanks to you. Father, may we keep our faces low to the ground, dependent upon you. May we toil in this hour to the glory of your name. May we not be overcome by evil, but may we overcome evil with good. And and good, Lord, not just in the sense of the nonsense American Christianity has declared good, but good in the true sense of your word, Father. Faithful obedience to you. Confronting evil. Resisting tyrants. Toppling idols, Lord. Telling men what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. Help each one, O God, not to be overcome with evil. May it cause them to rebound, O Lord, to understand You are the vine, we are the branches, and we can do nothing without you. We are utterly dependent upon you. May each one retreat only to you to find succor, to find strength of heart and mind and body, O God, and to stand faithful and true to you in this hour. Watch over each one, use each one mightily, Lord, we look at the history of those before us and the suffering they endured for being true to you. May we be true to you, O God, so that others in future generations can learn of our suffering and be strengthened in you, O God, encouraged in the faith, desirous to join the throng that is faithful and obedient to you. Blessed is your holy name, Father. Glorify yourself in each home here. Glorify yourself through each one here, O Lord. And may we see you do great things in the hearts and minds of men. We thank you for the great things we've already seen you do in the hearts and minds of men, even in the midst of this great conflagration going on here in our nation. Lord, we thank you for it. And we know your judgment is a goodness, it's a mercy, and we rejoice in it, O God. May we live faithful and true to you in the midst of it all. May each man who is married be a good husband. 
May he be a good father. May he be a provider, a protector, a priest to his home, O Lord. May each woman be a helpmate to her husband, a nurturer of the children. Help each child to want to love you with all their heart and mind. To study, to think, to make their lives count. Lord, we ask and pray that you be glorified through our lives and that we live in faithful obedience to you in the days ahead. And we ask for these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Praise his name.